When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Do you keep promising yourself to write, but never quite get around to it? Do you delete almost as many words as you write? Do you write things that never get shared? Nobody is born knowing how to write. Like any skill, writing improves with deliberate practice and attention. With growing skill often comes heightened enjoyment. Catherine Britton's book, Sit, Write, Share, will help you develop writing skill so you can share your message. There is no single writing recipe that works for everybody, yet successful writers rely on common ingredients. You can play with the experiments in this book to find out what works for you. There's also a free workbook to take stock and find the next best experiment for you. It is available at the book's website sitwriteshare.com. This is a must read if you are interested in writing and it will help you build a unique and personal writing practice. Catherine Britton's clients call her the brilliant midwife of words. She has helped hundreds of people become word crafters who complete writing projects big and small. Her own publications include books and articles about computer science, coaching, and applied positive psychology. After earning a Master of Applied Positive Psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, she founded Theano Coaching to coach writers and run writing workshops. Catherine has personally witnessed the power of her writing experiments to help authors find joy, build confidence, and get writing done that changes the world. For more information and for access to her workbook to help you move through the 55 experiments, please visit sitwriteshare.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Elizabeth Cronin, a host for the network. And today I am talking with Catherine Britton about her new book, Sit, Write, Share. 
I'm so glad to have you here today. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So as listeners know, we often start out by asking you to talk a little bit about just about yourself, how you became so interested in writing, and sort of what led up to you writing this book. Well, I have I have a serendipitous career, which means that um, I never really planned what I was going to do. I just kept doing things that led to interesting things that led to interesting things. So for about 30 years, I was a software engineer, first for the United States Navy and then for IBM. And you might think, well, that's a strange way to get into writing. But while I was working for IBM, we, were, we started a project to write what we called anti-patterns. Now, anti-patterns are descriptions of things that seem like they'd be good ideas to do, but when you try them out, actually they turn out to be horrible ideas. And so you write them up so other people can not you know, run into the same dead ends that you ran into. One of the people who was organizing this, this project suggested that we have a, a writer's workshop and he used the technique described by Richard Gabriel to run it. And I was so taken by that, that approach uh, that when I was, that many years later, when I was looking for a way for sort of my next career after I decided to stop being a software engineer, um, and I'll, there are a few steps along the way as well. But I thought, I would really like to try this approach. So I got together about eight people who were interested in writing and said, let's see if we can, let's see if we can try this writer's workshop approach with the kind of writing that we're trying to do. And it really took off. So for about 10 years, I've been running writer's workshops, sometimes as many as, as uh, 15 or 20 a week with different groups of people meeting regularly to, to review their writing. I have at this point seen 3,800 pieces of writing go through writer's workshops. And along the way, I've seen practically every obstacle, problem, writer's block, perfectionist um, difficulty that a writer could run into. Um, I work with some writers individually and they, you know, one of them in particular, and I, I, this is where the name of the book came from. You might say, why would you call your book Sit, Write, Share? It turned out that I was, I was doing some writing coaching for another person who had gone through a technology career, but now was really interested in communications. And he wanted to write blog posts about how people communicated. So he hired me to help him get the writing done. And it just wasn't happening. So one day I said to him, just sit, write, share. And by that I meant, get your butt in a chair, do the writing, and then share it with me. But his, he said, hey, you should make a book out of that. Well, that idea, sit, write, share, then just was bubbling around in the back of my mind. And eventually I started thinking about, well, I've, I've seen a lot of the difficulties that people have. I've seen a lot of the things, the, the, the really fantastic things that people have tried that have worked. So why not find a way of sharing that so other people might be able to get some advantage out of it? So I left out a few things in that, in that discussion when I was talking about my past, but I was an English major in college. I was a computer science master's degree then I was then after 30 years of working for, for the NRL and um, IBM, 
I became a master of applied positive psychology. So I now have degrees in, in social sciences, humanities, and I guess you could call it you know, engineering, computer sciences and engineering. So I figure I've got sort of big, I've got kind of a wide tent of things that interest me and that I can work around. Gosh, so fascinating. What about the program? You mentioned that you there was a certain program that you wanted to use. And I just listeners might be curious about that. It it seemed to make a big impact or you know, you remembered and wanted to try it out. Well, it was it's um Richard Gabriel wrote a book ooh, probably 20 years or so ago called Writer's Workshops or the Art of Making Things. And he describes in 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 very very, very good detail how to run a writer's workshop. And one of the things that really struck me about it was that you don't just get together and pull each other's writing apart. So once upon a time, I went to a meeting of, of um, magazine editors and other people who were advising people how to get started submitting op-eds and articles to magazines. And two or three of them said, well, you should go out and you should seek brutal feedback. And I thought, that seems like total nonsense to me. Who wants brutal feedback? Who really can use brutal feedback? Why? Why do you want brutal feedback? That's an assumption that all you need is to have somebody tear you down. So the approach that that Richard Gabriel describes is to, to get a group of people together to review the piece of writing and everybody's had a chance. Shall I walk you through a workshop? Yeah. I mean, is this, you know, okay. So, so let's assume we're having a workshop. And as I say, I've done a lot of these now. Um, So you have a group of people, maybe three people, maybe four people, maybe larger. They can be the writer's workshop that we had at IBM was probably more like 10 or 12 people. So you get a group of people and they've all read the piece ahead of time. So you invite the writer to introduce the piece briefly to the group. And by this, you know, not to tell us what it's about, because since we've all read it, we're gonna tell the writer what we think it's about. So we don't want the writer to be muddying the water by telling us ahead of time. But usually we ask the writer to do something like say, this is uh, this is a blog post that I intend to submit on my website. This is a LinkedIn post that I'm writing. This is a chapter of my book. This is something that I'm just writing for my family, you know, so that it's a bit of family history. So something that gives us an idea of who's the audience for this particular piece of writing. And then we ask the writer, the the author to read a paragraph. One paragraph can be the first, last, middle, doesn't matter which. So once the author has read a paragraph, the author is asked to become a fly on the wall. Though actually one of my groups recently said they would prefer to be asked to be a butterfly on the wall rather than a fly on the wall. And I'm I'm gonna actually try that out as we go forward, if I can remember. So come a butterfly on the wall and not participate in the rest of the meeting at all, except listening until the very end. And the reason for that is if you, and I went to hundreds and hundreds of reviews when I was a software engineer, and you're sitting there and somebody makes a comment about your, your whatever it is, your specification, and you're immediately countering it. So all of your thinking is going into, well, what do I say to, to against that particular thing somebody said? So in the writer's workshop approach, because you 
do not get to say anything. You're not, you don't have to be spending your mental energy thinking about how do I respond to that? Because you, instead you take it in. And the, the reason this works is the piece belongs to you, the author. You can take whatever feedback you want. You don't have to use any of it. You don't owe the group. You don't have to come back to the group and say, well, I took your feedback, but I didn't take yours. None of that. It's just simply a gift for you to use as you see fit. So that's, you're now, you're now the butterfly on the wall. We have the group of people and I always, I call on people to make sure everybody participates has at least one thing to say in each round. Um, so the first question is, what was this piece about or how did it impact you or both? So the question, it's a way of getting a sense from each of the people there. What was my takeaway from this piece? What did I see in it? What does it mean to me? And that, those are usually pretty brief. Sometimes people will summarize it. Sometimes people will talk about the emotional reaction that they had to it. Um, but usually they're, they're pretty brief and everybody in the circle gives one, one statement about what they, they saw in the piece. Now, here you are, the butterfly on the wall. You're going to be listening. And if you hear people basically getting from your piece what you intended for them to get, that's great. If they're not, that's really good information too, because maybe you're not, you're not quite getting yourself, getting your point down on paper. So that's just a way for you to see how, what are people taking away from your piece? The next question is, what makes this piece of writing strong? And everybody is required to have at least one strength. What I've found over the years works best is to Basically, I go around and call on people and I always jumble the order so you don't always have the same person first or last. Um, go around the circle and call on people. I ask them to give their top strength. Um, I did this because when I first started out, I just give each person a chance to talk about strengths. And sometimes by the time the first person finished, there was the second person felt like, well, I, there went all of my points. So this but it also, the, another benefit of it is it requires people to prioritize. So you not, <clears throat> excuse me, you not only look for what's strong, you look for, well, what is the strongest of these strengths? Um, and so once we've done that, we've gone around the circle once, everybody's given their top strength. Then we open up the floor and just toss out strengths, um, you know, so you can have more of a conversation like, oh, yes. And, you know, like ditto what you said. Yes. And and so you get a, you know, a more of a more lively conversation in the group when that is starting to wind down the third round. And the final question is, what would make this piece even stronger? Now, a couple of things you'll notice there. It's not what's broken here that needs to be fixed. It's not um, it, uh, it's not. You know, it's now it's time for you to be brutal. It's more of a, a sense of investment in how can you make this particular piece of writing even clearer, even sharper, even more effective. And you get one of the things that's really fun is sometimes you get one person says something and somebody else completely disagrees. That's good information too. So the, the upshot of this is that you are getting sort of the, the, the creative input from the group about how your piece could be even more effective. Uh, we have a, we, I, I try to steer people away from pointing out a lot of what I call Twinkies. Uh, Twinkies are 
you spelled you spelled it's with an apostrophe when it shouldn't have had an apostrophe or you know you you uh, you left a word out at the end of the sentence the little things and what i figured out for this is mostly people bring first drafts to to workshops and and this is something we can get into in a little more detail if you want but writing goes in stages and it gets more and more polished as you go so if you're getting people to submit their first drafts you don't want them to be to feel like oh people really see i misspelled a word i didn't you know because all of that's the kind of thing that that you fix in what some of the later rounds of editing so we try to avoid twinkies but every once in a while people can't they just can't help it they've got to point them out and i guess that's useful too but to try to keep on more the you buried the lead. I don't. I didn't know until the end of the second page even what you were talking about. Or I really feel like since this is a blog post that you need a call to action at the end. Or, or I got lost here. I couldn't quite follow what was going on with this idea. Maybe you could, you know, have put in headers or something that that would help me help me follow your your reasoning. So that's. And at the very end of that, okay, so we had end up going around and getting the top priority from everybody. And then we um, open the floor and people toss out some additional ideas. One of the things I found is some very smart people will say, look, I want one suggestion or two suggestions at most from each person. I just can't take in more than that. And that's perfectly fine. People get to can, can say that some people just want every last Twinkie. They, they, they want whatever they can get. So there are different preferences in how people get the feedback. At the end of that, we invite the author back in to ask questions for clarification. Okay, so notice you're invited back to the circle. You can now, you're no longer a butterfly. You can now talk. But we don't want you to tell us what we should have gotten from your piece. We don't want you to explain the questions that we had. We don't want you to tell us. You don't, we don't want you to orally fix anything. We just want you, because you were a butterfly and you couldn't ask when somebody said, when you said I should have quoted Joe Flabitz here, who's Joe Flabitz and how do you spell his name? You know, so the, the, the point is you weren't able to ask questions. This is your chance to get to get anything clarified that you need. Sometimes people will say, I really like the suggestion to do such and such, but could you give me a little bit more about how you how I might do that? And that's okay. Um, but not not for you to, you know, tell us what you're gonna you're going to do with the feedback you got, because that's purely up to you. But you you walk out of the meeting, you take the feedback you got. You can use it, not use it. It's purely up to you. You don't owe us a thing. So that's kind of the walkthrough of the way a writer's workshop works. And that really was the start of my work with writers um, and what I have learned from the experience of working with so many people with such a, you know, I've, I've probably been, I've had mm, not quite 150 people go through workshops. So I've seen a lot a lot of different approaches. Some people are really, it's easy for them. Some people, it's really, really hard. Um, but we're there to help people turn their attention from the fear to the work of writing. And that's, that is the goal of the writer's workshops. I, I love that. And 
when you were telling us about your background and your different degrees, I'm curious now about your master's in positive psychology, because right off the bat, anybody who has had anxiety about writing is going to say, whoa, that sounds a lot better to me than experiences in college or even high school when, you know, you get back your, your, your essay and it's got red ink all over it. And, and, you know, this definitely sounds like a positive experience psychologically, as well as a useful one for the, for the writer. So you want to say anything about, I'm assuming that that degree is influenced you in some way in this work? Oh, oh, of course. I mean, what I found was when I was looking at Richard Gabriel's approach, I thought he could have been a positive psychologist, right? Because the whole idea of looking for strengths before you look for what needs to be fixed and of honoring the individual differences in people and of, you know, the fact that uh, um, that not everybody is going to see things the same way. And there's a lot, a, a lot. So I felt, and of course, my positive psychology writing and my positive psychology experience has fed into, I'm sure that I, I pulled it even more in that direction than even what he had to begin with. Um, but he actually has a beautiful passage in the book where in his book about writers workshops, where he says, you know, sometimes I'd come into a meeting and I think I don't really like this piece of writing. I don't like the title. I don't like the direction it's going. But inevitably, as I hear other people talk about it, I think, oh, yes, you know, that is something that's strong about this piece of writing. And so I guess what I'd like to add to what I said before is it's not just looking for strengths and then looking in terms of making it even better, but it's also the social, the interaction among the people in the group that's really important. Um, this may be a total sideline, but when I was working for IBM, I, um, I, I have, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 20, to, somewhere between 20 and 30 patents um, that were, that I filed uh, while I was working for IBM. And as a matter of fact, I was the starter of a patent review board in our local laboratory. Um, up until that point, when I had written my earliest invention disclosures, We'd send them off to be reviewed and they'd go into the, into the inbox of some high-ranking technical person. And they usually sit there for 18 months to two years, you know, gathering, gathering mold. Um, when I was given the job of making the process work better, what I did was I created a, a small board of, of experienced inventors who got together to, and we, instead of asking people to write a complete invention disclosure, we'd ask them to write a one-page summary of their idea and what made it novel and what made it useful and why it should be a patent. And then we'd read these and then we'd have a brief interview with the person with the idea. And then we'd get together as a group and make a decision. And what I found is it's a lot easier for a small group of people to make such a decision than it is for an individual. The converse, in the conversation, the, the right action would just emerge. People would come together not being entirely sure what to decide. You know, should this be a, filed as a patent, which is expensive, um, or should it be put in the technical disclosure bulletin, which means that nobody else could patent it, but we weren't going to get patent rights on it. So, but I guess my main point here for bringing this up 
is that a small group of people putting their minds together on a particular problem can make can make decisions of this sort a lot easier than an individual. Right. So that that actually leads to the question of who joins your groups or who would who would benefit from being part of one of your writers' workshops. Well, let me start by saying the kind of writing that we've had. We've we have had blog posts, LinkedIn posts, book chapters, short stories, novels, poetry, song lyrics, um, business proposals. Uh, brochures, web web copy. Um, we had a brochure for somebody who was starting a candy business. I could probably add on. So, which is to say that this works for a lot of different kinds of writing. Um, what I found most of the people that that start when I first started out, the people I was inviting were people who had also gone through the the ma- Masters of Applied Positive Psychology program at Penn. So at this point, about 60% of the people who are involved in my workshops have that background, which means that there's a, a certain, it makes it easier to get people to follow the rules because they go, oh yeah, yeah, you know, you look for the strengths first, I understand that. Um, and then, then the other people are friends of them, friends, their friends or friends of their friends or friends of, you know, so in other words, it's gotten probably out to like the fifth degree or so by now. But that's how I meet, that's how I started. And that's why I find it so easy to get people to go along with this particular approach to giving feedback. Okay, so anybody who feels a need or an interest to like create some sort of written content would make a good candidate. Yes. What about fiction? Uh, I mean, what about fiction? Have you had anyone do creative writing? We have. Um, I, I, um, I don't myself have a particular expertise in. I mean, I've read thousands and thousands and thousands of novels, right? But and so I know as a consumer what I like. But I don't really. I don't feel particularly confident about. But we've had probably three or four novels that have taken shape in the group. So it's not. You know, it's like people who, who. The, the problem is it's kind of hard to read fiction in, in little chunks. And so you get, you know, you get a chapter and it might be two thirds of the way through and you're new to the works. You know, this is a new workshop and, you know, all of the background stuff that was there it makes it a little hard to have the ongoing review, though my people have been working out techniques for doing that. So it is it is possible. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is if you have any if any of the listeners are interested in doing in having their own having their own writers workshops i have written up the more or less the 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 script for it which is one of the one of the experiments in my books at write share so it basically walks through and explains you do this you do this you do this and this is why you do this and this is why you say this and whatever so i'm not I don't hold this as something that only I can do. I think that anybody who wanted to really get a group of together of people together to support each other with their writing could use that approach and then adapt it as they see fit um, to their to their particular group. Um, so I just wanted I wanted to m- let it be known that I'm I'm not claiming this is just something that only I can do. In fact, I've got in I've been doing this long enough that I've got 
five or six other people who run workshops for me. So I'm not the only one that's the facilitator. Nice. It's just, it does feel like a very refreshing approach. And um, it brings me back to a question about when people come, do they usually bring their their first draft or is there, I myself, I'd be like, oh, I feel like this better be polished before I bring it to this group of people. And yet in your book, in the book, one of the things you talk about um, is how you really shouldn't write, finish the whole thing in one sitting. Like you say, you should do your draft first, then you go back and editing is a whole different process and all of that. So I could see the benefit of the first draft, get some feedback, then go do your editing. At the same time, I think I might feel like I had to edit it and get it as polished as possible. So maybe you could say something about how people approach it. Okay. Well, I one of the things I, I send a five-day note to, to people in a workshop five days before they have a piece to do. And I end the nudge with, remember, it doesn't have to be long and it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, and that's just a, a quick reminder to people. Um, I think what happens is, you know, you may start out feeling like, oh, it needs to be polished. But you'll come to a meeting and you'll read somebody else's first draft or maybe second draft or whatever, early draft. And there it's got little glitches all over it. And then you'll think, oh, they can submit that. I can submit my drive, my drafts. So there are some people who really like to submit the first draft, then submit the second draft, and maybe even a third draft. I mean, some people do it that way. They they resubmit after every stage of editing. Um, and it's not the way I like to work. I mean, I also am a member of, of at least uh, of, you know, of my workshops. So I like to submit for the first draft, get feedback back, and then I do all the polishing, et cetera, et cetera, on my own. But different people work different ways. Okay. That definitely addresses sort of the fear factor, which you mentioned earlier was sort of one of the one of your intentions in using this approach. Can you just say more about what you've what you've witnessed in terms of people's fear levels? And it sounds like the writer workshop can help reduce the fear because, you know, you're sort of normalizing that everybody starts out with something sometimes messy. Well, and and people also are, everybody that's involved has experienced the fear. And so there's a certain, you know, kind of camaraderie and, you know, kind of helping people, you know, there's a, as the, the, the experience of fear is, um, I won't say it's universal, but it, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty frequent. You know, the people are afraid to share what they've written, um, which I think is a really interesting thing that people are afraid to share what they've written with other people. When you think about the fact that writing is really intended to be a form of communication. I mean, you don't write for yourself or maybe you write for your future self. You know, maybe you write notes that you're going to read, you know, in 10 years to say, oh, I was thinking that back then. But mostly people write with the purpose of communicating with other people, which and I guess that's what part of what makes it scary is you have the feeling that you're putting your work out there to be judged. And I think that being in a group where you are the judge, you know, the judge for other people, um, maybe that's maybe that because you know that you are you, you know, you're a friendly judge, right? 
And in my groups, people really are friendly judges. Uh, you know you're a friendly judge. And so that makes it a little easier to take what you hear from other people as friendly judgment, if that makes any sense. Um, no, definitely. But, but the whole, there's there's a statement early on in Richard Gabriel's book where he says, you know, the purpose, you know, the, what in order to make progress, you have to turn your attention from the fear to the work. Um, and another point that he makes that I have that I have used over and over again in various different ways is that people get better at writing by practicing and paying attention. And so you may think, okay, I'm in a writer's workshop. I'm one of four people. That means for every half hour review I get, I'm doing, you know, uh, three half hour reviews for other people. And you may feel like, oh, is that really worth it to me? The fact is that that paying when you are reviewing other people's work, you are paying attention to what works here and what doesn't work. So you get to pay attention without having an ego investment in it. You you're using your judgment to say this is what really works here, and you think, oh, I could do that. Um, and you're you might be saying. You might be noticing something that doesn't work and you can say, oh, yeah, I have the same tendency to want to tell a big story where people have no idea what the story is about and then tell them what the thing was. Maybe there should be something at the very beginning where I give them a, a sense of why I'm telling the story, tell the story and then and then go on. So so you get to pay attention in in those in those in those uh, opportunities where you're looking at other people's writing. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I just, I love the the community um, at supportive environment. Um, let's let's talk a little bit more specifically about, about the book because it's full of exercises. So if a listener doesn't feel like they would want to do a writer's workshop, there are so many ways that you encourage someone to sit and write and think about sharing. And I wonder if you want to talk a little bit about how you came to organize the book around these exercises. Well, I was I I have some experience with a couple of other books that I've that I've that I've actually co-authored with other people, where I found that having a repeatable structure, if you want to, you want to be if you want to be writing a book to help other people, particularly with something that they. Um, you know, like a skill that they want to build or a, a change in attitude or whatever, that having, building building something in, in small units so people can read just a few pages at a time and then get something that they can use and apply, that, that approach really works for me. And when I first started out, I'm, I'm very much of an experimentalist. So I do not believe that every, I do not believe the same recipe works for everybody. So you'll, you'll have people who write books about, well, here's what you need to do to become a writer. And I think, well, yes, maybe so, but not for everybody. Um, as, I, as I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, I'm a bit of a serendipity person. So I know people who believe that having setting goals and following goals is the royal road to happiness. And I think, well, that's okay, but it's not exactly the way I've lived my life and it's not really the way I want to live my life. So with that understanding that people are different, so they're going to find different approaches work better for them. My thought was to start collecting ideas 
of things that people could try. And so instead of having like a full recipe, instead it's like, okay, here's a little bit of a first problem is getting yourself to actually sit down and do the writing, which is a little ironic because I mostly work at a standing desk. So I haven't done any writing sitting down for a long time, but okay. Most people, they talk about sitting down to write. So the first section of the book is about various ways to work on habits, to work on finding inspiration, to work on uh, dealing with those mean little voices in your head that might be left over from your your 10th grade English teacher, um, you know, uh, uh, getting yourself motivated to, to, to do the writing. So that's there's a whole section about kind of managing your brain so that you actually get started on, on the writing. Then there's a section, and there are about, I think there are about 13 experiments in that section. The next section, which is the biggest one, is about how to write. And what I found was I needed to break writing up into three separate topics. The first one is imagination. Uh, so I don't know about you, but I do a lot of writing when I'm doing washing dishes, vacuuming, you know, walking out to get the mail, weeding, whatever. I do a lot of playing with ideas in my head while I'm doing other things. And I consider that to be part of the work of writing. It's not, it's you're, you're, you're trying on various shapes. You're trying on you're thinking about, well, what are the stories that might, you know, what points do I want to make and what stories might I use to support that idea? So I call that imagining. Drafting is sitting down and getting a first draft written. And I am reminded of the words of Anne Lamott, who said, you know, that you, you write a, first, a shitty first draft so that you can have a pretty good second draft and an outstanding third draft. And you don't try to get an outstanding first draft. And if you do, I mean, I've literally seen people sit in a, in a, like a writing co-working session. I've seen people write, erase, write, erase, write, erase. When they get to the end, they have erased as many words as they've written and they come out with about 10 words. Doesn't work very well. It's like trying to drive with your foot on the brake and the accelerator at the same time. You use up a whole lot of energy and you don't go very far. So if you sit down and say, I'm just going to write it as it comes out of my mind, it, you know, clumsy. If I can't think of the right word, I'll just leave a blank and go on. Just, you know, just write it until you get the idea down and then walk away and let it, and let it, you know, kind of marinate a little and then come back. And even, and then the final section of the right, of the right part of the book is editing. And most people think of editing as, oh, what a chore. That sounds really boring. I think of editing as an act of love for your reader. So here you are, you have your words there and they are not really totally clear. They are not in an, they're not, they're not necessarily in the order that the reader needs to, to read them. There's not a through line that they can follow. So, and the, and the language is kind of clunky and not very, not very, doesn't taste very good in the ear. I guess I'm mixing metaphors there, but anyway, you get you get the point. Um, so what you're doing when you're editing <clears throat> is you're taking your draft, which is rough, and you're turning it into something that people would enjoy reading. And so if you think of that as an act of love, it's also an act of judgment and a, another act of creativity, because what you're doing is you're you're imagining the person who's going to be reading what you're writing 
and you're thinking about, well, how can I put things together in a way that will really help them see my point, that will really make what I'm saying stick with them, that will make them light up. And so if you think of editing as an act of love, it feels a lot different than if you think of it as, you know, I've got to make sure that uh, Mrs. McGregor, who was my 10th grade English teacher, doesn't end up putting red marks all over it, you know, just trying. So it's, it's, a, it's an approach goal, not an avoidance goal um, in positive psychology terms. Yeah, I love that. And then, of course, the last section is the experiments, or I, I think I was saying exercise oh, that's right. in, in sharing. Yes. So here you are, you've written something, but you didn't write it. You know, you, I, as I mentioned before, writing is social. You're not writing just for yourself most of the time. And even if you are, you're writing for your future self, who's not exactly this, you know, the same person as you today. So when you, when you finish writing something, you actually have to take steps to share it. And so there, and let, let me back up a little. You don't have to do the writing completely alone. So there are ideas in there for co-working, for um, you know, for getting support from people for various aspects of the writing. The writer's workshop approach. I've got two two experiments in that section about writer's workshops. Um, one of which talks about why you want to actually get a group of people together. You need to find a group that's not a brutal group. And then, you know, actually how you might run a workshop yourself, more or less the script. But once you've got that level of support, then we go into, well, how do you publish it? So I've got a, uh, one of the experiments came out of an interview that I did with a young friend of mine who works for the New Yorker. So she walked me through how to write um, a query letter to a, a magazine like the New Yorker about submitting a particular topic, you know, an article on a particular topic. So there's some suggestions that she made in there about how to write a good query letter. Um, then I've got a section, an experiment about how to choose. Let's say you've written a book. Could you self-publish it or should you go looking for a publisher? And I made a table in there of the advantages of each of those approaches. And it looks to me like they're about even right now. In the world that we live in, Publishing yourself um, or publishing with, you know, um, somebody who can support you through the steps so that you get a really professionally designed cover, professionally designed interior, et cetera. I wouldn't necessarily just take a PDF file and upload it to um, Amazon KDP and use one of their canned book covers. I mean, it really does pay to have some good design go into the way the book looks but you can actually publish a book without having to get a publisher to accept it. One of the things that people think is publishers are going to, I'm going to write the book and then the publisher is going to market it. That's not the way it works anymore. Only for the really big ticket books do publishers do a lot of marketing. They expect the author to be able to market their own book. Which is why when you go to write a book proposal, one of the things you have to do is convince them that you have a platform of people who care about what you have to say. So you have people out there that you could inform through social media or other sources that would then flock to and buy your book. You have to convince them you have a big enough platform that they know that you can actually market your own book. 
So there's a, an experiment in there to help you decide how you're going to publish a book. And then there are some experiments about how to launch a book. Um, I've found since I've clearly learned something about launching and marketing since I finished the book, because I've been going through it, that I've got some follow-on experiments or whatever in the blog that I maintain on my website, Sit Right Share. Um, and I'm continuing to write about write about writing. So I'm writing, you know, supplementary material. So if anybody just wants to get a taste of well, what is it like to get ideas from Catherine, they could go to sit right share, sit, sit right share all run together.com slash blog and see what kinds of things I've published since I published my book. You have so many resources available for people, lots and lots. And it's, it's definitely worth taking a, a visit to her site because it's, um, you share quite, quite a bit, not just it, with the blog, but she's just got links to all kinds of things there that I think people will find useful. You just mentioned something that just had a, a, a question for you, but <laughs> this is a little tangential too, but when you were talking about publishing and getting, making it look really professional and, and making, I, I'm wondering about the book cover, because this is, it's a really, um, I really like the book cover. It's, well, first of all, I love blue, um, but it's just, there's just a lot of texture and subtle color. And I, I didn't know how you came to this design. Well, I have to tell you, I have a very, very creative friend named Sherry Fisher. And at one point I needed, I needed a, um, this is before I was in the final stages of, of, of doing the publishing. And I said to Sherry, I need a, I need like a, I need like a mock-up cover of my book so I can put it in various places that I'm saying my book is, is on its way. And she designed that for me. She's just, she, uh, appreciation of beauty and excellence and creativity are among her top strengths. She designed that for me. And then when I was working with a, a cover designer, my, I, I couldn't, nothing, nothing was better than that to me. So the, the, probably a few little things got changed. The, the, uh, the font on the, on the words got changed, um, making sure that there wasn't, you know, text over the top of colors where you couldn't read it and all. There were some, some, but, but basically the cover was designed by a good friend of mine. So having friends who are creative and, you know, I helped her finish her book and she helped me with this for my book. And so having sort of swapping skills, um, Visual design is not my forte, but I still tend when I'm when I'm getting ready to publish a blog, unless I've got a really good idea for a picture already, you know, you have to have a banner picture. I will write her a note and say, Sherry, what can you suggest? And she ha always has fabulous ideas. So, mm -hmm. I like that. That's some more of that collaboration. That's sort of like, mm -hmm. you know, group support that that as far as I, my personal experience is that being part of groups has helped help me do so much more. Um, even, even when a group makes suggestions for strengthening something, even when they're, you know, encouraging more work for me, I just get so much more, so much more done. I, I really love the experiments in the book. Um, I couldn't, if someone asked me what my favorite one was, I couldn't, couldn't answer that. But I'd like to ask you if you have a favorite experiment. Hmm. Well, 
I don't know whether I would call this a favorite experiment because I'm not sure I really have a favorite either. I really enjoyed working on all of them, but there's one in there that I feel like this is this is this is a little piece of me, and that's the one about the procrastination Aikido. Um, the reason is that when I was in college, I I figured out for myself that if I had something I really didn't want to read, like Immanuel Kant, oof. Um, then having somebody assign a paper to write made it a whole lot easier for me to get reading done. I would find, you know, I could get the reading done because I, you know, in the background, I'm thinking, I don't want to be working on that paper. And if, it, you know, I had, had a, an exam to study for, that made it easier to get papers done. So what I figured out was people are always talking about motivation as if you were like a, a motivational monolith, like you were either a motivated person or you weren't. And I find that I'm having various different levels of motivation for different things to do's in my life. But the other thing I've found is that motivations are connected. So if you've got a whole list of things that you're going to do, one really good way to get some energy to, to move forward on something is to think about something you want to do even less. So, you know, if I'm thinking, okay, Catherine, Today, you're either going to write your next blog post or you're going to work on your income taxes. It's really easy to get myself into the blog post. So I've got an experiment in there where I actually suggest to people that instead of thinking about, uh, am I motivated to do this or not? Instead of looking at all the things that you, you have to, on your plate to do and use the energy of avoiding the things you don't want to do as, as energy that helps you get something else done. I, I, I haven't actually seen anybody else write about that, but my son, I found one day, was describing it to his girlfriend that that's how he was motivating him, himself. So either it's a family trait or it's you know something that is that other people have figured out as well. I would say, um, just as a psychologist, a therapist, a lot of people have admitted that there have been times when there was something they were supposed to do, like do their taxes or maybe write a paper, and they find themselves cleaning the house, putting everything in order. Now I'm going to, you know, straighten out my closet. But that I think that's actually very common. And I love the idea that you kind of try to harness that by intentionally pairing two things together writing being hard and something even harder to help you. I love that. Yes. Well, I, I used to say that I, I would rather clean toilets than study for exams, you know, so that we had very clean apartment. We were had a very clean apartment at the end of the, of the semester, but that, and that was part of my observation about, about this, but thinking about using it intentionally, um, that observation about how your brain works around motivation. Really, really creative. Uh, the experiments are all really, really interesting. Um, I read a lot of books and there's a lot in there that was new to me and really fun to read. There's stuff I'm definitely going to try. Um, you sort of alluded to this, but before I let somebody go, before we wrap it up, I usually ask like, so what are you working on now? What kinds of things are you doing? And you you do have this great blog going, which I think is really helpful and really sharing a lot about your own experience with this book in particular. Yes. <clears throat> well, I'm most of the writing that I'm doing right now is associated with blog posts 
which I also publish on LinkedIn, um, that are that are around um, the any of the ideas around getting um, getting a book or getting your writing done. I had one last week that I really really liked. I mean, you know, you I like I like my writing. Usually by the time I'm finished, I'm I pretty much always like it. But this blog post I really liked. That was about the topic of vulnerability being a source of creativity, um, and. I noticed this in workshops that people would, one of the main, one of the most, really most, I'm not sure it's frequent, but one of the a piece of feedback that I often hear in the strength section is there's so much vulnerability here and that people, people love that ability in the writing for people to share something that's really, really internal to them. So I actually got to thinking about what is it that enables us to be vulnerable, to share ourselves in that way. And I did it in the context of what are the things that people say either to themselves or to other people that limit that vulnerability, that willingness to be vulnerable. And so I actually came up with a list of, I think about seven things, maybe it was five, they always tell you to have odd numbers. So I always try to have odd numbers when I have lists um, of things that you either are saying, to, you know, listen to yourself. And if you start hearing these words coming out of your mouth, either to yourself or to somebody else, particularly some young person in your life, you know, because your voice might end up, if you come out and say things like, uh, you know, your, your, your handle on fiction is not strong. Maybe you should stick to nonfiction. Um, that is actually a sentence that a friend of mine said that her 10th grade English teacher said to her. And she's almost my age. So that those words have hung with her a very, very long time. Um, somebody else was telling me about, you know, the feedback that she got that, oh, if you work really, really hard, you might be able to write someday. Which these kinds of, things that are said to children or to young adults or, you know, people starting to do something that they stick with them and they become real obstacles to people being able to share their creativity. So my, my blog post is about how to catch yourself before you say these things to anybody, including yourself, and how to rephrase it and turn it around and actually say something that might be constructive and helpful. I was thinking that if some of the people, if you think about the, the, the unpleasant voices from your past that are still in your head, and you think about the person who said those things, would they really want that to be the voice that you hear when you sit down and try to write? Yeah. So the other thing I'd like to say um, is on my website, if you go visit sitwriteshare.com, no, no underscores or anything, just sitrightshare.com. I have a free workbook that you can get that's a, that's a companion to the book. And the, the idea for the workbook came out of one of my beta readers who said, you know, there's a lot of experiments here. There's 55 experiments. Where do I start? So I came up with this idea uh, that I, that I um, implemented in the workbook of a set of questions where you can take stock of where you are relative to writing. And so, and I, and I phrase them as positive statements, like I can sit down and get right to work. 
not, I have trouble getting myself started when I sit down, but I can sit down and get right to work. And if you can say yes to it, then it asks you to make a note because you might as well collect your strengths and be aware of what you do well. And then if you're having trouble with it, then it points you to a two or three or four or five, however many are appropriate um, experiments in the book that might help you deal with that particular aspect of writing. And so it's the, the workbook, which is free on my website, is a navigation guide to the book to help people actually put the book into action. That's great. Is that on that resource page as well? Um, I think so. I mean, actually, it's on the bottom of the, you know, it's like the little the little footer on every page. There's a little thing that says sign up here and you can you'll get be on, you'll be on my blog and then you'll get the the uh, the workbook. Awesome. That that's really, really good. And of course, I just have to say, you know, ending on a positive note, it, it was so thoughtful of you to call them experiments and not exercises in a way, because like, <laughs> it's an experiment. You don't know how it's going to go, right? It's, you know, exactly. the connotation between the two words is just so different. And I, it really does honor what you were saying earlier, too, that, you know, we're all really unique. We all have something, something different to say, something different to communicate, something different to share. And I just think it's a, um, I, I will say there was also a review that, I read where someone was saying they weren't even interested in writing. They had read the book and they were using it to do work on illustrations or, or you even talked about people who writing songs or poetry. Like, I think it's a really interesting book for, for anybody to pick up and at least look through it because it's just it's very supportive of, of creativity in general. Well, well, thank you. That was my intention. So it's good to know that, uh, that, that it feels that way to you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing so much of your time and your wisdom and giving us a little bit more info about your book. And um, yeah, I hope you get a lot of people following your blog and checking out your website. Okay. Oh, I also, I'm on, I'm on Instagram and Facebook where I try to put out uh, on Mondays, I put down out one of my morals Okay, for each one of my experiments has a moral. It's like a one sentence dis, dis, uh, sort of summary, kind of like an Aesop's, Aesop's fable moral. Uh, so I put those out on Mondays. I put um, one of the questions from the, the, uh, the workbook out on Saturdays. Um, and then on Thursdays, I try to just come up with something else, like a pointer to a blog or something else. So if people are interested, they can follow Sit Right Share on Instagram or a Facebook as well. Um, so um, it's, it's, it's just been a, a, a tremendous amount of fun, which is in most people don't think of writing as fun. Um, but I found all of a sudden, I sort of realized I'd done enough of it that I got to the point that it was fun. And my hope is that people can actually break through whatever the barriers are and get to the same point. I love it. I think, I think you've done a nice job. I think you will. Okay, thank you. Thank you.